There's something remarkable and frustrating about the way that Jesus taught with parables, isn't there? The disciples understood the frustrating part really well. They were never sure they had any idea what Jesus was saying. And there were a number of occasions where Jesus would teach the crowds in parables. And when he was done, they'd pull Jesus aside and say, what in the world were you talking about? Parables can be obtuse and confusing. We often wish that Jesus would have spoken more plainly. Come out with it, Jesus. Say what you mean. Stop telling these stories. Give us the three-point sermon. And I and other preachers are sometimes guilty of falling into the trap Will Willimon noted when he said we have a tendency to read these passages and then begin our sermons. Settle down. I can see Jesus has made you confused and a little uncomfortable. Well, here is what Jesus was trying to say if, like me, he had the benefit of three years of seminary education. But in many ways, the power of Jesus' teaching and the reason we're still talking about it, still captivated by it, is because of the obscurity of these stories. Think about it. Jesus couldn't just summarize these stories and tell us what they mean because there is no simple, plain meaning. His teaching is remarkable because of the way he doesn't just tell us what is so, but invites us to imagine our way into the kingdom, to find ourselves in these stories he tells, and then begin to imagine how our lives might become part of them. The parables continue to speak. They speak at multiple levels. They speak different things in different seasons to different people. It's as if they are themselves alive. Because they are. Because in them we're invited, if we're willing to sit long enough in our discomfort, if we're willing to avoid jumping to quick and easy explanations and oversimplifications, we're invited in them to encounter Jesus. And that's what I'm hoping we can do today. Encounter Jesus in this parable. It's a difficult one. It will probably be uncomfortable for you. It's been uncomfortable for me. And my goal is not to make this easy for you. To tie it all up with a bow so we can go back to our lives the way we were. I want to invite you into this encounter with Jesus to hear and wonder about what he has to say, to think about what it all means for us, and not just explain away our discomfort. I can tell you, it's been working on me this week. It's been uncomfortable. It's been gnawing and nagging, and I still have a lot of questions. So if you're willing to make that journey with me, to get uncomfortable with Jesus, then let's first pray and then listen to the story. Lord, it's in your light that we see light. It's in your truth that we find freedom and in your way that we find peace. So come and shine your light upon us that we may live in your freedom and experience your peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Do whatever you need to do to listen well to these words from the book that we love. Now someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, 
tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, man, who appointed me as judge and referee between you and your brother? Then Jesus said to them, watch out. Guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life is not determined by one's possessions, even if someone is very wealthy. And then he told them this story. A certain rich man's land produced a bountiful harvest. And he said to himself, what will I do? I don't have a place to store all this harvest. Then he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and that's where I'll store my harvest and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have stored up plenty, enough for several years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, enjoy yourself. But God said to him, Fool, tonight you will die. And then who will get all that you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for all who hoard for themselves and aren't rich toward God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now, if we're going to wrestle with this story properly today, we have to be clear about a few things. There's no sense wrestling with Jesus about the wrong things because there's plenty to wrestle about and we don't need to waste our energy. So let's be clear about what's happening. In this parable, notice first that there's no comment about the man being rich. There's no comment about his prosperity, about his good fortune, no comment about this vast harvest that comes in, the bumper crop that's enough for years to come, no comment about building barns to store it, No comment about any of that stuff. Sometimes people will read this story as an indictment against rich people. But it's simply not that simple. Jesus makes no comment about wealth itself here. And Jesus is no socialist. He's not a capitalist either, but that's an uncomfortable conversation for another day. There's no issue with the fact that this man is rich in the story. All of creation is good, it is abundant and bountiful, and God delights to bless God's people. Which is good, right? Because we're wealthy. We're among the wealthiest people in one of the wealthiest nations in the world, and even the poorest among us are in the higher end of the 1% of those who have ever lived and walked on this earth. Jesus isn't saying anything here about... Uh, Wealth being evil and foolish. It's not in there. Remember, too, that the parable, the second half of this story, is meant to say something about the context where we started, about this man who comes to Jesus asking him to tell the brother to divide the inheritance with him. That's the context in which Jesus tells the story about this farmer, and that story is told to shed light on the context. Jesus means, I think, for this man to see something of a parallel between himself and the farmer. So what's the parallel? Well, when the man asks Jesus to tell his brother to divide the inheritance, there's nothing wrong with that request. 
We know in that day that if a father died without a will, the sons came to some agreement about the division of the inheritance, but the oldest son had to sign off on things for it to actually happen. This must be the younger brother asking Jesus to tell his older brother to divide the inheritance. He's coming with a request for justice that is being withheld from him by his brother. And he's coming to Jesus, the one who just said, ask and you'll receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened for you. Be persistent in your prayers and come and ask. And so the man comes to ask Jesus for justice. He's coming to the right person, asking for the right thing, asking in the right way. And yet Jesus refuses to get involved. Jesus, it seems, has done some quick spiritual discernment on the fly and sees in this man that while the request is justified and good, it is tainted by the virus of greed. For him, it's not what's on the surface that's the problem, but something that's underneath. And so we notice the same is true for the farmer. There's nothing wrong with the wealth itself. There's something else going on. And, right? Which means we're off the hook for being wealthy. We dodged another one with Jesus, right? (laughs) Wrong. Again, it's simply not that simple. So breathe a sigh of relief, but don't get too comfortable because we're not off the hook. There's another question we now have to ask. If it's not simply wealth and bounty that's bad, what is it? What did the farmer do wrong? Fool, God said, tonight you will die. If you are following in a different translation, it will say tonight your life will be demanded of you. And in the Greek, there's that sense of a debt being called in. Tonight you will die. Then who will get all that you've prepared for yourself? What did he do wrong? He forgot to factor in his mortality. He's storing up all this grain. He's setting all this stuff aside. He's imagining his easy life over the years to come when he will have more than enough and he doesn't know he's about to die and will enjoy none of it. Or maybe more accurately, he hasn't taken into account that his life itself is on loan from God. It's not just that he's mortal and not in control of it. It's that his life was never his own to plan and do with what he willed. That that debt could be called in at any moment. Remember, too, at the beginning, Jesus said, watch out, guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life is not determined by one's possessions, even if someone is very wealthy. There's something this man is doing in believing that his life and his things are his and that his life is now safe because he's stored up enough stuff. He says to himself, self, you're set. Relax. You can stop worrying about things and put your feet up because you have enough. Fool, God says. None of this is yours. And this, I think, is the mistake the farmer makes, thinking that his life and his possessions are his and for him. 
Notice even the clever little detail in how Jesus sets up the story. A certain rich man's land produced a bountiful harvest. Who produced the wealth? The land, not the man. Sure, he planted the right seed at the right time in the right place. He tended it well and harvested it. There was certainly a lot of skill involved. He even took the right risks at different points, and it led to this bounty. But it was the land that produced the harvest. The man can't do anything to make grain grow. And there are plenty of farmers who plant the right thing at the right time in the right place, who have all the right skills, who take all the right chances, and end up destitute because it doesn't rain, or it rains too much, or there's not enough sun, or there's too much sun. A certain rich man's land produced a bountiful harvest. But then if you watch, from that point on, everything is about him. He said to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. Then he thought, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grain and goods. I'll say to myself, you have stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Could it be that his mistake is believing that all his stuff and his life itself are his? for him and his good, that the issue isn't his wealth and his bounty, but the issue is that he uses it for himself. And fool, God says, tonight you will die. Then who will get all you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for all those who hoard for themselves and aren't rich toward God. That's where the cowardly pastor might plant their flag and close their sermon. See, friends, we didn't need to be uncomfortable, did we? The problem's not that we're rich. The problem is those people who aren't generous enough. Those rich people who are just greedy, not like us. So take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourselves. Jesus wasn't talking to us. But again, is it really that simple? Is this just a lesson for Scrooge McDuck and King Midas? I don't think so. I think we have to keep sitting with it. After all, the man who approached Jesus that day asking for justice appeared to have all the right motives. He was asking for the right thing, using the right words, believing Jesus could grant the request. And it's Jesus who's able to discern something more going on. Jesus then warns us to be on guard against all kinds of greed. And might we then be invited into that same work of spiritual discernment? To see greed as a virus that doesn't reproduce on its own, but latches on to good things and like a parasite sucks the life out of them for its own growth. We're masters at covering over our evil desires with good ones, of asking for the right things for the wrong reasons or the wrong things for the right ones, of justifying ourselves and ignoring that virus as it spreads in our hearts. And this is where Jesus has been working on me all week. 
Here's this story about a man who has a huge harvest and decides to build bigger barns to store it and essentially retire. So how do we hear that story as people with retirement accounts that are always growing? Jesus told this parable to people who were one illness or one bad harvest away from complete destitution. How do we hear it as those with investment portfolios, life insurance, 529s for kids' college expenses, bank accounts, safety nets. What does this story say to us? And before you dismiss me and say that I shouldn't feel guilty about saving for the future, that that's just proper financial responsibility and stewardship, I wouldn't want to be a burden to others later, there's nothing wrong with that kind of prudence, sit with it a little bit longer. Is there? Because I'm honestly wondering as I sit here with Jesus. I mean, I'm not going to get rid of my retirement account. I'm not going to stop saving for the future. But where is the line between prudence and greed? And is it as clear as a line? How much do I need to save? And at what point does savings become selfish and rob me of the opportunity to be generous with what is God's and not mine? Where has greed slipped in? And it may not just be about how much I'm saving. Why am I saving what I'm saving? Is it just proper financial stewardship and responsibility? Or is it fear that there won't be enough later? Is it because I've come to believe it's mine and I deserve it? And I've forgotten it's a gift from God on loan from Him? Or is it so that I know I will be comfortable later? Is it so that I can shore up myself against future worry? Not by learning to trust in God for daily bread, but by putting away everything I can now. And might it then be some form of greed? Even idolatry, taking what is God's, what has been loaned to me to make sure I have enough later. We'd be right to note that Jesus has just taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And that he keeps talking after we're done reading and tells us to stop worrying. He tells us you get so anxious about what you'll eat and what you'll wear, but God will provide for you. Don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up treasures in heaven. Could this worry be another form of greed or its precursor somehow? I don't know. I don't have all of the answers, but Jesus is doing something in me in all of this. And this is the deeper work of discernment that we're invited into as we sit with Jesus and enter into this story. What is prudence and what is greed? What's justifiably ours and what isn't? What is stewardship and what's fear that hasn't yet learned trust? And it's likely not as simple as saying it's one or the other. The man who approaches Jesus is justified in his request and yet also has allowed his heart to be infected by the virus of greed. So where now does that all leave us? I'm not really sure. 
I'm not planning to liquidate all of my savings and give it away. I'm not planning to give away everything I earn and live myself in destitution. We give 10% of our income to God, but tithing isn't some miracle cure against greed. And then there's that harvest that came into our bank account on January 4th. $2,400 stimulus payment. We did nothing to earn and don't really need. What do we do with that? How high do we need to climb up the ladder and how much do we need to make? How much do I need to save for retirement? If you're retired, how much do you need to keep for yourself? And in all those conversations, how can we shift the whole perspective to begin to see the harvest, everything we have, even our lives, as being loans from God? That they aren't ours and for us, but for the world and are meant to be invested in the kingdom. Jesus says, watch out. Guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life is not determined by one's possessions, even if someone is very wealthy. And then he told them this story. A certain rich man's land produced a bountiful harvest. And he said to himself, what will I do? I don't have a place to store all this harvest. And he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And that's where I'll store my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have stored up plenty, enough for several years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, Fool, tonight you will die. Then who will get all that you have prepared for yourself? So it will be with all who hoard for themselves and aren't rich toward God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.